Yo guys, what's up, what's up? We're here for another episode of The Daily J. Uh, cool thing is, I am actually fasting for the next three days. Interestingly enough, uh, some people kept asking me like, hey, are you fasting for some type of religious reason? Or are you fasting because of, uh, you know, it's always, people always assume it's a religious reason as to why I fast. And it, I find it funny because I fast 23 hours a day normally. And what's interesting about that is I don't do it for religious reasons. Yes, I do have a faith, but that's not exactly why I fast. It's just been shown that ancient cultures have fasted as a way of particularly healing this, um, healing yourself. And what the body's able to go through, through a process um, of when you're fasting is autophagy, which is the body's able to clean out the cellular walls and effectively start repel repairing DNA damage. So that's just the cool fact of the day. But... One of the things that I kind of want to hop into to not get too far off tangent, because you guys can, you guys do know, I can go off on rabbit trails. It is what I do, but that's why y'all guys keep tuning in, and it's what you love me for. So, um, what I want to go ahead and cover today is just some of the stuff that I have been seeing while I'm out and about looking at individual businesses, especially brick and mortar locations that are doing things like their marketing. Like I'm always looking at their branding. I'm always looking at. Um, you know what they're doing and why they're doing it and is that piece of content relevant to their end consumer is that piece of is that staying on brand with what they're trying to do is that cheapening the brand is that making it uh, something that actually is attainable to the end consumer because a lot of big companies always aspire to be like these big brands like Apple like McDonald's like Macintosh uh, sorry not Macintosh I'm sorry because that's still Apple Microsoft you know Wendy's Bakers and they trying to be just like them but what's interesting is they haven't reverse engineered what those people did to get to that place of success and they're not doing the same things that they are so when they end up failing to get those lack of results what they're lacking is the context of effectively being able to look at what they did why it worked and being able to say here's why I can make that work for myself because I'm copying someone who made it work for themselves there's an old saying that, that good artists copy great artists steal good artists copy great artists steal so why go and reinvent the wheel when you can just steal some a concept from someone who's already working for? Because at least you know it worked one percent better for them, so you know at least you're going in the correct direction. Malcolm Gladwell talks about this as heuristics, and the idea is with heuristics is that you have an idea of something that's working for somebody else. So instead of reverse engineering, instead uh, not reverse engineering, instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, you just follow what's already working, and because it currently works. So. Um, this is just some of the stuff that I am seeing. Like, you know, today what was interesting was I was at I was at a few brick and mortar locations. Like I went to this place called The Sandwich that was local to me. And the place has been around for 10 years. Come to find out they had had a change in management. And when they had the change in management, one of the things that we were finding out is when I went to look at the website, their website wasn't mobile optimized. Right. Now, that doesn't seem like something that's a really big deal. But if you're a big, if you're a brick and mortar location, right, the thing you have to realize is that one, you've got huge overhead, whatever rent you're paying, because usually when they sell you a brick and mortar location, they all, they, you know, it, the, when people are finding real estate, it's location, 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 because location is key. Usually people are always trying to choose places on very busy streets um, off of freeway entrances or freeway exits simply because the traffic count of people who go down that street every single day to take that main street since it's a, a popular way it's a way for them to effectively know hey if people make an impulsive decision and pull into this lot they're more than likely to come purchase from my business and then all the local surrounding businesses end up doing just as well because they end up supporting each other but here's one of the problems that I've tended to see with that is that if you're in a location that that is a brick and mortar location and you are pushed in the back where no one officially can see you and people have to to it's a struggle for them to find you you better have really good marketing you better have an amazing experience or an amazing product 
Because when that consumer shows up to try that product or have a part of your experience, if it doesn't deliver on what the marketing is saying, you're going to be going out of business quite quickly, very quickly. Because here's the thing I want you to realize. There was a statistic study where they were looking at millennials and they were looking at the, the, the restaurant and the bar industry. And I wanted to take the statistic and really look at a few other industries simply because what I noticed is that it has the actual same applicable effects there. What the study was is they were looking at millennials and they were looking at how millennials made their purchasing decisions. What was interesting about it was that when they were asked whether they would go to one location versus another, the determining factor whether they would go to one location or another was the experience. They wanted to justify their purchase, their purchase price. They said, hey, if I'm gonna go to this business and I'm gonna go out of my way to go for an experience, it better be a good one. Why? Because there's third-party applications like Postmates, Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash that effectively will, can deliver me my food, which is the product, faster and easier than you can as a brick and mortar location. So if I can get a, an access to food that easy, why would I come into your brick and mortar store, right? So like I'm sitting, I'm sitting actually outside of Whole Foods as I record this, and what's really interesting here is people ask me all the time, like, you only shop at two places. Well, I just correct, I do only shop at two places. I shop at, I shop, you know, for Bulletproof products, uh, or I go to Bulletproof Cafe, or I'm at Whole Foods. I don't shop at any other store. I simply only come here. And what I found interesting about coming here and going to other places that sell food, right? Uh, like, and I'm not talking about restaurants. I'm actually just talking about other grocery stores that sell food. Here's what's interesting. I come here because the experience is better. I come here and I notice one, it's an upscale communities, number one. So I'm, I can leave my car on, like not worry about getting robbed. Number two, it's the experience. When I come here, people are a lot more pleasant. They're very friendly and approachable. All of the staff make it, they make me feel like when I go in there, I feel good about making a purchase here. The other thing, it reminds me of an Apple store opening. There's almost like this like kind of religious fervor when I walk in there and everyone's exceptionally excited. Like you can tell, like they might not, the, the, the people that are working there might not be paying attention to when a customer walks in. And the moment the customer walks in, what you see is they end up lighting up as if they are happy for that person's business. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to anybody else, but from my background having understanding of psychology and particularly um, how the neurochemical response of what makes drives people's decisions, I don't take this for granted because I'm going, oh, what they're giving me is a, they're giving me a serotonin spike for coming into this location and shopping here. I can go to any other location and deal with your, your rude coworkers and I can deal with your rude staff, or I can come to this place, and this place here makes me feel good for my purchase. They all smile at me when I walk in, so I'm getting a nice little serotonin response. They're saying, I hope you have a wonderful day. And they, they actually remember you if you come in a few times, and they remember what you ordered and what you may have purchased in the past, because you have a few habits there. A lot of places, they forget about the customer experience. I want you to remember that any big retail giant, the reason that they become the way they were is they were consumer focused, they were consumer centric. And that was the thing that gave them a dominant edge over everyone else. Netflix, Hulu, why they tore down Blockbuster, YouTube, <coughs> they're very they're audience driven, Walmart, McDonald's. Hell, look at Apple. What's interesting about that is that there are some places like Target that have, been, like, that have been having a hard time because if you make a purchase on something and you go to go take it back, they give you this big gripe and hassle about, oh, well, you need to have this and this to return it. And what's interesting is you go to Walmart 
If Walmart knows you don't like something, you can return it the next day and they'll give you your full money back with or without the receipt. What they do is they find the product and then they can, they can track the transaction to your bank card and know who they sold it to. So then they can just go ahead and return it for you. That's amazing. That's a, that's a consumer-centric company. Now, they are dying out because you have Amazon bought out Whole Foods and because they bought out Whole Foods, they're delivering way faster than what Walmart can. They, they just they really can't compete unless they can drive their costs down to be able to meet the demand. What's changing in the marketplace? But these this, these are just some of the observations. Another observation that I see is whenever I see a lot of old school brick and mortar locations, they still use flyers. I don't understand that one. Like I had someone walk around earlier, and they put <clears throat> what they put on my car. They put. A, they put a flyer on the window on my car. And the first thing I'm thinking is, I'm like, thank you for inconveniencing me by putting mess on my car. And I know I'm not the only person that thinks like this. You've got like millions of, 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 of people that are, that are on the road. You think they want that on their car? The only thing I will have to say to give them, to give this insurance company a little bit of slack, they had a QR code that was on the flyer, which I thought was smart because I know that they're using it to digitally track every single person that comes in holding that uh, holding that flyer. The only problem is, is that the QR code is on there and unfortunately if someone doesn't interact with that QR code right away to where you were able to track them and opt them into an online list, what effectively you have is the person is going to put that flyer in their pocket as we know all human beings do and they're not going to see it again until they either check their pockets probably the end of the night, that's if they actually do that. Or it's going to be when they do laundry. They're going to pull out and go, oh man, that was that flyer again. But are they going to go and scan that QR code at that moment? No. So you spent all this money, you put all the call to actions in there, you did all the branding, and you wasted effectively a lot of money, which would have been better and more efficiently used on running Facebook ads. Because when you're flyering somewhere, you have no idea who the target market is. You know who you want, but each, like I'm sitting here in this parking lot, I don't know each one of these drivers. If I have a product, are they interested in it? Are they in the market for it? Is this actually going to service them? What has been their buying patterns? What's their digital footprint? What have they spent money on within the past three, six to nine months? And am, am I at the right timing for approaching them? Or am I coming effectively and I'm spamming them and only going to piss them off? Those are the questions you really want to ask. That's why I don't like you know, the old school selling where we're going to go, hit, we're going to go knock doors in a neighborhood and, and hit 150 houses in a row because they're all homeowners and they're probably 35 years old and but here's the reality what people fail to realize is that that's not the case home buyers are getting younger and younger now you're having people with with dual incomes and then you're having uh, uh four generations of families in one house people aren't buying nearly as much as they used to yes there's necessarily a boom but unless those prices can drop to meet the uh the economic income of the person that's that is trying to buy the home then no, no one else isn't buying. So, you know, if you're the kid that's working at Kirby, you're knocking doors, you're knocking doors. But what's happening is that none of those people are qualified. They're what they call pros, uh, suspects, not prospects. They seem like a good demographic because of what the data is showing. But unfortunately, the data didn't go deep enough to let you know, hey, this person purchased a vacuum last week. Actually, they had a bad customer experience with your product. They had something bad to say about it. Why? Because you weren't, you don't know any of that. So you came in kind of blind trying to sell. And because you're making a blind sell, it's like a blind date. You've got to start discovering and start feeling around and get more information so that you can effectively make the sale. Because they might not be in the market, but they may know somebody who is. <laughs> I definitely jumped around a little bit of rabbits, but 
<coughs> Hope you guys get the point. <coughs> so, another another point that I'm that I'm thinking about is like so this 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 insurance company had the QR code there. That QR code better often do a list. If it doesn't often do a list for you to retarget and remarket those people, right? Then effectively, it's just a it's just a waste of a fly, and it's a waste of good graphic prints. It's a waste of paper. You're just putting more carb, you're putting more carbon footprint out there. It would be better to run a targeted Facebook ad, create a lookalike audience, get an idea of specifically who's the target demographic I'm going after, who's a who's a service provider that's very similar to me, who's following them on digital, what are they doing, and then let me let me reverse engineer my ad to that audience based on what I saw that was a successful campaign for another company that's similar to mine like if i know i'm in shoe i mean it's, it's shoe apparel and i'm trying to sell i'm trying to sell to, to I'm, a, I'm reebok well if someone just bought nike within the past within the past you know 30 60 or 90 days they're probably likely especially if they're a sneakerhead they're more likely to buy my line especially if the shoe is very similar because why it's a look-alike audience someone that's into nike might be into reebok i will say this be very careful though with that because branding can affect the perception of your product to your end consumer so lookalike audiences, they're kind of a closer way of being able to sell. But I want you to remember that your brand for your product is different than Nike's branding. Nike's very, very tailored on who and what brand image they put out. So if your brand is not similar to Nike's, a lookalike audience actually won't help you because say you're Payless and you want to target Nike consumers, they're not going to buy from you because Payless's brand is save more, pay less. Nike's brand is all about champions, just do it, rebels, and they work with the best of the best. Payless does not signify the best of the best. So because it doesn't signify the best of the best, you cannot target Nike users because your brand is off. That's like, me, that's, like me, that's, like me, that's like me not looking like a male model, but then I'm going after female models. The branding is off. She's not naturally going to like me. I'm going to have to kind of force and twist her arm to the situation and hope that she likes my personality. But that's still too much work because I'm not familiar. See, that's what branding is. A branding is a, is a, is a personality in a sense. It's mannerisms. It's, spe- it's speaking. Uh, it's, it's, it's cadence. It's subtext. It's, it's the little nuances, character flaws, the colors that you wear that effectively give you an identity and they give you a voice and they give you personable traits that in this person's mind they associate to you and you only. Because it's what makes you unique. It's your own footprint. It's your own DNA fingerprint that makes you unique. So if you're a different brand than another company <laughs> and you're trying to create a look like I to sell them, it might not work for you. You might want to think about that. What's your brand? What's your brand message? What are you trying to say? And who, you, who are you trying to communicate? Who is your product individually for? And wrap your brand around that to really speak to those consumers and speak that native language that they speak. Why? Because then they're really going to feel rapport and feel familiarity. They're going to buy from you. Why? Because we only buy from who we know, like, and trust. So if you're, there's, I, there's a, my favorite saying is everyone's, top, everyone's favorite topic is themselves, right? But 90% of the time people spend time talking about themselves. The other person doesn't really care. And so one of the other quotes that's my favorite is this. If I spend time with you, talking about you, with you, you're going to like me. Right? So let me repeat that. To slow it down. If I'm with you, talking about you, about you, with me, you're going to like me. Why? Because, again, everyone's favorite topic is themselves. 
and I'm talking with you about you, about things you're interested in, places where you want to go, where you want to be in 10 years, your passions, your dreams, your hobbies, your career aspirations. You're going to like me because you have spent a lot of time investing into those aspects of your life and going forward in those areas and it's costed you time. Therefore, you value those things quite highly. So by me talking with you about those things, I'm bringing up positive emotions that you, therefore you associate to me. And you associate a positive experience with me again and again and again as long as I'm doing that. And the chemical that I'm triggering actually is oxytocin, which is the social bonding chemical. <coughs> Honestly, I think that's all I have for you guys right now, in all honesty. And like, I don't want to just push out random content and try to like force something down your guys' throat, but these are things initially that I'm thinking about. These are things that I'm thinking about that, that specifically I'm seeing brands do, and I wish they would just do things differently. I wish they would go ahead and, and figure out their, their processes and optimize those processes effectively to sell more and to create longevity between you, your brand, and your client. Because you got to think about it like this. There's three people that, there's, anytime, you're, anytime you're selling or marketing, there's three audiences. There's the people that are going to buy right away. There's the people that are on the fence about you that need a little bit more time, a little bit more exposure to you to buy from you. And then there's the last people who are like, I don't like you at all. I'm not going to buy from you. And they're going to take longer perpetuity for you to sell to them. But what's great about that is that because of the fact you've got them in a list, you can use mere exposure and effectively put content in front of them that's valuable and that helps them. And because it helps them, what's going to end up happening is they're going to end up buying from you because of that reason, that reason alone. Because they know you. We buy from we know, like, and trust. You're familiar. You're consistent. That's what makes YouTubers uh, so, so valuable to sell on is because they have a, an audience that they're familiar to who they're a thought leader with, who adds value to them, and who they know, like, and trust. So I'm going to end on that note. I hope you guys found this valuable. I hope it was useful for you. I hope you got some solid takeaways from this that you can go use for your brand, your personal service, or your product that you're initially trying to sell. Figure out who your audience is. Reverse engineer exactly how you should be speaking to that person. If I'm talking to a dog, I'm not going to speak human. I'm going to bark. So figure out what that cadence is that your audience is going. Figure out what your brand is. Figure out what makes you viable to your end consumer and how you can therefore connect with them. How do they think? Put yourself in their shoes. Be empathic. Try to think about what are the problems, what are the hindrances between them creating a connection between you and them. If you do this, you won't even probably need to actually hire any digital marketers because effectively you're going to understand how to market because you're putting yourself in the end consumer's shoes and thinking about things from their perspective. Remember, if I talk with you about you, about your hobbies, dreams, careers and passions, you're going to like me because everyone's favorite talk is, topic is themselves. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Love, peace, and chicken grease. Live long and prosper.